Hello, I'm Troy Rafferty here on The People's Voice, and uh, here we are in uh, celebrating this month, uh, which is Women's History Month, and I am privileged and honored to have one of the most powerful, compelling, uh, and hardworking women that I know and that I've had the privilege of practicing law with now. Uh, LaRuby May. So thank you for being here, LaRuby. No, thank you for the invitation, Troy. Pretty excited to so be here with let's, you. So let's talk a little bit, because you are, I mean, you do everything. You, you're all over. You, 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 you are a, a uh, community activist in, in certain respects. You do a lot of charity. Uh, you practice law at the highest levels. Um, you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you pretty much do everything. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing. Uh, Let's start off with some of the. I mean, you've been, you've been, um, you've been appointed by federal courts to head up and lead litigations uh, involving some very massive uh, defective products. So let's talk a little bit about that. One of them that you've just started working on is the uh, what's referred to, I guess, as the hair relaxer case. <laughs> talk a little bit about what that is. Uh, so yeah, again, thanks, Troy, for for the opportunity to uh, have to come and sit with you, right? <laughs> and so, and you know, lots of, of, of people. So to be uh, in that that group of, of known people and, and and friends of yours, I think is pretty amazing. But yeah, I've been very blessed, very thankful to be appointed along with a slate of other leaders. I think there's 35 of us who've been appointed um, by the judge in uh, in Chicago, in the Northern District of Illinois, to be the leadership team for uh, Hair Relaxer. And, so uh, what is the hair relaxer? When, when we talk about hair relaxer litigation, what are we, what are we referring to? What, what's, the, what's the crux of the case? So, so the crux of the case is that women, specifically black women, Right. And, and, you know, whether or not that black African-American women or black Caribbean women, but generally more speaking of, of women with a, the, a more coarse or texture of hair, a less straight texture of hair, um, you know, for many reasons. Right. Have have needed to straighten their hair or felt the need to straighten their hair, whether or not it was to get a job. Uh, sometimes we did it to, you know, for church for Easter or for proms or for whatever reasons. Right. That we uh, for some of us, it was about assimilating into kind of white or Western culture of having the straight hair, um, but we used the product, right? And the product was very well marketed to us. And in fact, um, you know, it was marketed to our children. There's a, there's a brand called Just For Me. And I think if you if you go into a black church or a black community and started singing the jingle Just For, just for Me, like, it, you know, it's like a line <laughs> dance. People would, would join in it. And so, um, um, and that was, again, about marketing towards, towards our children, towards black girls. And so what the litigation is doing is saying that the use of the product, the chemicals in the product, what we're finding out, um, they're endocrine disruptors, and essentially what the science is showing us that it leads to uterine and ovarian cancer. Wow. And this is all being marketed specifically to, or, or generally, I guess I should say, to uh, black women and oh, black children. Absolutely. I mean, to black women, to black children. And again, I think that when you think about a, a eight or nine or 10 year old child that, uh, you know, it, especially when I was a child back in the, you know, the 80s, right? Uh, you, you, the only images you see on TV of beauty are folks with straight hair. 
right? And most of the time they didn't look like you, but again, the texture of the hair or even, you know, I, I was talking to some folks, Troy, you know that I went to Episcopal Day School here uh, in Pensacola where, you know, I was the only black kid in my class, right? And so mm-hmm. when you have kids there in those situations that are looking and seeing images of their colleagues or their friends or on TV of folks with straight hair, then you want it. And then again, you get a jingle for kids, you market towards kids um, to get up to beg their parents to put a product in their hair. Meanwhile, their brains are still developing while you're putting uh, this chemical there. And, um, you know, and, and then we see that, you know, that these chemicals and that, you know, the manufacturers knew uh, knew about these chemicals. And you know, I think it's important, Troy, that black women are pretty much the only women in this country that can go to a 7-Eleven and get their hair products or go to a corner store and get their products. So when you speak about the marketing of these products, you look and see that it, it was very specific and very targeted to a population of folk. And they knew it. They knew about it. They knew that these chemicals were going to be dangerous to kids. And they yet they continued to market them. And to line their own pockets, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I talk about this all the time on the People's Voice, and it's also that they can line their pockets, and you got a bunch of people, these executives sitting in boardrooms, making decisions that are going to impact people's lives. Also, they can, you know, they can they can just make more money, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. And we we see this time and time and time again. But I don't know, you know, I I want to make sure everybody out there that's listening knows the importance of this because you know woman ends up with uterine cancer the first thing they th- don't they, the the last thing they think of is was it the hair relaxer and i think that's an important public service that we try to do here on the people's voice is to let people know because I mean, you, you, that wouldn't be an automatic, oh. um, an automatic. We're facing some legislation um, right now that is being shopped around the country to do away with the ability to advertise for what we refer to as mass tort cases, cases like the hair relaxer. But the reality is, if you take that away, which there's constitutional issues, we'll, you know, that we won't get into. But the fact of the matter is, people don't know about these things. Unless and until you start seeing what's happening to people and lawyers like you uh, working on these litigations bring it out in the open. Well, I mean, I think, you know, part of what what I've had the privilege to do, not only in hair relaxer and we'll do continuing hair relaxer, but even in my opportunity to work, you know, uh, on, on Paraquat, right, is about educating. Obviously, we're lawyers, we're plaintiff's lawyers, and you know, we want to hold people accountable for what they put, the harms that they do for people in our community. And we want to, you know, Troy, we want to fight the fight in the courtroom. But we also want to educate folks to make sure that they understand um, that there are products that you don't think about, mm-hmm. right? Like, now, I'll tell you, I, I had hair relaxers growing up you know it took me a while I think you know maybe it was high school when my mom allowed me to get my my first one it definitely wasn't middle school but Troy one of the things that folks don't realize that who don't get hair relaxers is even if you thought something was you know uh uh getting a hair relaxer sometimes it's painful right you get scabs in your head like it, it burns right but you never make that connection that it's going to be the reason why i have uterine cancer or ovarian cancer or potentially have have fertility issues and you know man, i think manufacturers and distributors uh, they, they play on that, right? Like, or, or they benefit from folks being uneducated about the true impacts that they have. And, and I think they do that generally. Mm-hmm. But then specifically, when you go into black and brown communities, right, I think that it even becomes more, 
um, you know, they, they rely even more heavily on folks being uneducated and un- underrepresented. Mm-hmm. So when we look at mass tort litigation, regardless of what it is, you know, the, the the disparate impact that those have on black and brown and native communities, I think, are what manufacturers and these folks that are, built, you know, lining their pockets with money, what they rely on. They'll tra- they, they, listen, the f- big pharma, mm-hmm. big pharma will target whoever they think they gotcha. can make a nickel <laughs> off of, gotcha. regardless of the outcomes. That's mm-hmm. that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something very interesting. You mentioned Paraquat. Mm-hmm. You've also uh, uh, are one of the lead lawyers in the Paraquat litigation. Um, and uh, talk a little bit about what that is. Uh, so again, Paraquat is a weed killer, right? And what we know is um, our brothers and sisters who are out there farming, many of them, you know, we're coming up close to Easter into Mother's Day. And many of us, if we, if our mothers are still alive, we're going to buy them flowers or send them flowers, right? Or we're going to send our, our children's mothers flowers, right? And not recognizing or being sensitive to the fact that there were folks uh, that whose livelihoods were to make sure that we had those flowers to be delivered to our mothers and to our sisters and, and to our aunts. And they were uh, trying to make a living and using Paraquat as a weed killer. And yet, you know, you know, getting it on their skin, dermal exposure to to the chemical uh, caused them to have a, a horrible disease called Parkinson's. Mm. And it, it's a terminal disease. No um, cure for it. No, is. no cure for it. And it, it gets progressively worse. And, and if you've not had an opportunity to engage with an individual with Parkinson's disease and to see someone or to live with a family member who's gone through the progression, it, 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 it's a pretty amazing disease. And it's really one of the reasons why I'm so gl- blessed to be a part of the, the the leadership team because um, uh, all clients, all the clients we, we serve deserve the representation. But when you think about folks who are just trying to make sure you and I had food on our table and sometimes, you know, they were doing cotton so we can have clothes on our backs. And, you know, again, you know, the manufacturers of the product knew the harm uh, that this would cause uh, for people. And yet, um, you know, they still decided to make money uh, versus to make things safe uh, uh, and, and, or, and or to give warning to people before using it. Profits over safety. Always. Same thing. Always. Same thing we see. <laughs> History repeating itself. Yep. Yep. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, some other things that you do mm-hmm. and that you've worked on. You worked on – so – and, and and some of this stuff, I, I mean, I am just so thrilled to have you as as <laughs> as, as uh, a part of the Levin Papantonio Rafferty uh, firm, and just really because not just because of the great lawyer you are, um, but because you also do a lot for other people, regardless of whether there's profit in it or not. <laughs> um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. I know you did a lot of work. Um, you you know out of Washington D.C. in terms of kids being bullied or harassed. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, you know I live in D.C. now, right? Mm-hmm. And so D.C. is kind of uh, my other family neighborhood, and have a lot of again you know very blessed to have lots of opportunities to serve uh, communities and specifically children in. Uh, there was a young lady uh, that I had the opportunity to know. Actually, I knew her mother. 20 years ago, right? Well before, you know, even 25 years ago, maybe at this point in time, um, before the young lady was even uh, was even born. And uh, I I started my own firm in DC, right, doing some some personal injury. Well, actually, I started out as a general attorney, right? I was doing more real estate and uh, landlord and tenant law than I was doing anything in uh, in personal injury. Uh, And then unfortunately, um, 
in March of, of 2018, uh, the, uh, my my friend, the mother, Patricia Denton, came to me uh, looking for representation to represent her uh, in the wrongful death lawsuit of her daughter, Stormaya Denton Jackson, who uh, lost her life. Uh, Stormaya committed suicide at the age of 12 yes. um, and, and lost her life in D.C. And, and you know, so, so prior to her mother coming to me, and in fact, Troy, you'll appreciate this. She came to me and she's like, we want you to, you know, want you to represent me. And I was like, no, not me. <laughs> I, that, that's not the type of law that I do. And, and she, she, thankfully, she wouldn't stop. She said, no, you know, your relationship with Stormaya, your relationship with me, we want you you to represent. And uh, and so then I, I, I had a co-counsel in D.C. and we took the case and we began to fight on behalf of Stormaya uh, for the harm that was done for her uh, that, that essentially led to her taking her own life. Mm. And so uh, tell, talk a little bit about, because um, there was some legislation also, right? Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. So, so while we were going through the journey of, of, of the litigation for Stormaya, one of the things, one of the issues that we found, and Troy, this is an issue on both plaintiffs and defense side, right? We all, we all hire forensic economists, right, to mm-hmm. tell us what the value of life is, right? As right. plaintiffs, we want to know. What's the value of our, our of our of our client and defendants want to say you know what what's not the value it's of not. life right you know yeah. what, what's not the value and so in doing so um, we recognize that the flaws in the district law and quite frankly uh, the only state in the country at the time that was not discriminating in the calculation of damages was the state of California. And so we met uh, Bob Johnson, who is a forensic economist out of California, who single-handedly led the charge to change the law in California. So I had the opportunity to meet with, with, with Bob Johnson multiple times and say, hey, you know, we're looking at Stormaya and what, you know, all the economists are saying is that because, not because she was poor, not because of where she lived, um, but simply because she was a woman or simply because she was a female and because she was African-American, that her life was worth less than a individual who could have been, would have been male or, uh, or, and white. And so we just began to look at that. And I was like, you know, uh, Stormaya was an amazing kid. Stormaya used to lead community marches in her community around gun violence and justice. Dermaya was the kid who took kids in the neighborhood she to church. She was only 12 years old. She was only 12 years old. Wow. Like, she lit- like literally, um, you know, her elementary school – uh, was impacted by her, like the leaders, because again, you know, Stormaya, you know, ha- had seen so many friends and people die in her life from violence and gun violence that she became an advocate at a very young age for justice. And and so I knew the value of her life, like her family knew the value of her life. Um, and so when we started getting calculations that put the value of her life, the calculations that we were seeing for the value of her life was less than the amount of money that the District of Columbia was paying to educate her every year. Mm-hmm. And so we, were, we began to look at it, and, and one of the things that, that I'm very fortunate to do as a lawyer, Troy, is not only fight, as I mentioned before, to fight in the classroom, but to fight on behalf of other clients that are similarly situated to the clients that I fight in the classroom well, for. Well, because bullying and harassment has become a real, real epidemic, quite frankly, in the country. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and again, like, you know, so, so, you know, obviously, you know, middle school is that age where kids kind of go through, you know, go through life's issues, right? And so, you know, we, we, 
you know, even in our lawsuit, Troy, like when, when we look at the bullying and the issues that are happening in the middle school and, and quite possibly the issues that were happening with Stormaya, we really begin to look at the actions or the inactions of the school more so than the behaviors of potentially other students towards towards Stormaya as it relates to. And how is the school? How is the school? Uh, how is the school uh, responsible? So uh, in, in our uh, complaint against the school, we, we claim that the school w- was negligence because uh, Stormaya uh, did what we would want Stormaya to do. So, so mind you, in, in 2018, when, when Stormaya took her life, if you go back and look at statistics, African-American middle school children was the highest rate of suicides in the country. So anyone serving that population of children, especially as a counselor, should already know that 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 it you know you're high risk, right? Mm-hmm. Simply because of the population that you're in. And, and Stormaya again did what we would have wanted Stormaya to do as it relates to uh, giving notice uh, to 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 folks at school, um, letting you know what her what her thoughts were, and uh, then their actions their actions after Stormaya gave them notice. Um, uh, was not they didn't give that they didn't provide that same notice to Stormaya's mother. They didn't give Stormaya's mother an opportunity to get her help. So what was so uh, talk if if you're able to talk a little bit about the bullying and harassment so that other parents that are listening to this can know what to look out for. So so again, I think that 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 it, again we, we don't look at it we don't look at Stormaya's case as a bullying case necessarily okay right okay. right so so we look at again we look at Stormaya's case really more so about the actions or the inactions of the school okay um and 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 not their inactions or actions as it relates to a, a culture of bullying uh, although Again, we, we, we since Stormaya's death, we, we had multiple people come to us, multiple parents who had their children to attend the school and say that they, they believed that the school had a bullying culture and mm-hmm. those things. And I think that that for parents who um, it just becomes so important for you to become uh, involved in the school and, and knowing what's going what's happening. But I, but I think. Again, Stormaya's mother was active. She was involved in the in the school culture, so that that's not necessarily what happened there. What I would tell parents to do, especially parents of African American children, um, especially in that middle school age, is not only making sure that you're involved, but making sure that you understand the credentialing of the of the teachers or the counselors that are serving your kids. Making sure that they're up to date, right, and, and making sure, you know. Not not a, not as many children are going to be able to be in environments where they have teachers that look like them, and they're not going to be in environments where they have teachers who have cultural sensitivities to them being black kids or them being poor, poor kids. And you grew up in a in a in a school where Absolutely. the teachers did not look like you. <laughs> yeah, didn't look like me. Didn't understand the culture or anything right. like that. And so, you know, again. You know, making sure that you're asking the questions around the providers, that they're staying current on what's happening, not only to your child specifically, but happening to the population of children. Right. So, you know, the school that Stormaya attended, you know, it it doesn't seem as though that they had a great understanding that Stormaya was in a population of children that across the country were taking their lives at higher rates than any other population of children. Wow. Let's talk a little bit. It's Women's History Month okay. this month, so I want to talk a little bit. Talk a little bit about women in your life who have been the most influential. I'm going to suspect one of them is going to be your mom. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> who is absolutely. an incredibly wonderful absolutely. person and woman. Absolutely. Um, uh, but but talk a little bit about that. So you know, I'm 
you know, Mary May is that, you know, I shout out to Mary May. I try to give my mom a shout out every time that I get a chance. And Troy, you've met my mom she, and spent some time with her. She deserves a shout yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, one of the ways I think is the best ways I've described my mom, Troy, is my mom managed to raise seven children who all think, operate and exist as only children. And that's a pretty well, hard that's task. that's interesting. Right? That's you know, interesting. Because yeah. we all think, and you you know some of my siblings, uh, and so and, and you've spent time with them. And so we all kind of think that, like, we're special. We all believe that, like, the world kind of revolves around us, and not in a, like, arrogant way, but in a way around of, like, being supported and being loved and being cared for. And so, you know, for a mother to be able to, to do that and raise seven kids that believe that individually – um, and and are still, you know, for the most part, good people, right? That that that's a pretty tremendous task uh, for her as as a homemaker. And so I'm very blessed, you know, um, that my mom is still living, right? And that I still get to spend and share time with her, and you know, and share this journey. I, I think that I am the lawyer that I am uh, because I am the person I am, and I'm the person I am because of my mom. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, is there somebody? And you, I can't. I I got to give. Mary May, another <laughs> shout out. Um, but talk a little bit about what it is that drove you to become the lawyer that you are. Like, what was there a case? Was there a situation? Was there what was it that that said, you know what, I want to be a lawyer? Uh, and that's a good question, Troy, because, you know, I became barred in 2007 and I didn't practice until 2017. So there was 11 years that I was a barred attorney that I, that I never practiced. And, uh, you know, and and we were talking early about uh, the Stormaya case. You know, I was I was I had started in 2017 after my uh, after I did, wasn't reelected to to be a, a city council member in, 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 in Washington, D.C. And I was like, ah, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I was like, let me just become a lawyer. And I was practicing law. You know, it was OK. You know, I enjoyed it. But then Stormaya's case came and it was personal because I knew Stormaya it was personal because I was once a little black girl and I got black nieces. And when I had the opportunity to work on her case and see how my voice and how the law, with the role of the law in personal injury cases and bringing justice for people, um, it, it changed me. I mean, that was the pivot. The Stormaya Denton uh, case uh, was the pivot in my legal career, which had at that time only been, you know, probably about a year. Right. But that was the pivot that motivated me to think about personal injury and the ways in which I could be a social justice advocate uh, in the law. And uh, and I'm forever grateful. Right. Which is one of the reasons. And we again, we talked a little bit early about Stromaya and, and I didn't go into much about the law that we changed. But uh, uh, fighting for the legacy of Stormaya is not only the right thing to do because we, we got the law changed so that now forever in the history of the district, uh, in the calculation of wrongful death damages, you cannot discriminate. You cannot reduce it based on race and gender. Um, that law just kind of recently passed through Congress. Um, but I'll always remember Stormaya. I'll always remember um, uh, how she impacted, how her life in, in, and her death, unfortunately, uh, impacted me to become a personal injury lawyer and to take the fight that I was fighting in education and the fight that I was taking in housing and, and all the other fights. She really allowed for me to find my, you know, to find my purpose in being a, a, a lawyer fighting those fights. So she was an inspiration to you. Oh, man, she's again, I wouldn't uh. I wouldn't be sitting here with you had not I had the pivot into personal injury and I would have never had that. I, 
other folks had tried to get me to do other type of law other than what I was doing before uh, before Stormaya's mother came to me. But Stormaya's case was that personal. Like Stormaya, again, like not only just because I knew her, but again, because what she represented. Like she represented a young me. She represented an older Adriana, uh, you know, or, or Theophany, my, you know, my, my nieces. And so because of that, you know, it just, you know, I'm grateful. Like I'm, I'm grateful for what she meant to me and, and the legacy that, that, she'll, that she will have in the District of Columbia now with the law being named after her, but in my life of helping me to understand, right, helping me to find my purpose, Good. right? Yeah, Yeah. well, that's what we all, you know, that's the meaning of life, right? Yeah. Trying to find your purpose, uh, mm-hmm. what it is. Well, on behalf of 11 Papantonio Rafferty, I'm grateful that you, <laughs> uh, that you found that purpose because you've been uh, a huge, huge uh, addition to uh, our firm, and so I appreciate that. Talk a little bit about, so what message would you send? I mean, you're very successful, you're very powerful, you're very, uh, you're very inspirational. Tell me, what would you say to a young woman that is kind of trying to find their way, trying to find their purpose, trying to wonder what it is, how you, how you get to the, the position that you're in and the success that you've had? in a world that you know is the well the current world we live in which is not all that you know you know uh convenient for women for minorities um and so talk a little bit about what you would say to a young female that came and asked you about how you get to how you get through life so i think that what, what i'll first say though troy is, is 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 very powerful very successful are, are your words <laughs> and not mine yeah. um i just think that i'm very blessed right i'm just very grateful for opportunities that i've been provided uh and what i would say to uh what i would say to young folks or you know maybe even maybe even what i would have said to 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 a, a younger me is um you know, trust the process Right. Like and, and when I say trust the process, it's about trusting the process of 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 your passion, of your heart, of what you want to do. Right. And, and, and the process of, of whatever the process is that led you to think the way that you think. I mean, I've been like you we mentioned before. Right. Like when I was at school, now I was the only black kid in my class. Right. So like I was just so different. And you know, been diff- been different in, you know, in in undergraduate school. There was forty nine black students out of a thousand, right? So like, I've always been kind of different and didn't uh, wasn't as trusting of the process that where I was supposed to be, where I was, was where I was supposed to be, and that my 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 goal in life was to figure out how how to be the best person in that experience because that would lead me to the next experience. And so I would say to to, to young folk to. To, to in, in regardless of your situation, whether or not you're poor, whether or not you're, you know, in an underrepresented population, you're black or brown or LGBTQ or, or whatever, whatever it is that in the moment that you're in, uh, uh, trust the process that got you there. And then as you begin to look at your imagination and your dreams of where you want to go, trust the process that'll take you there and continue to follow it. And I, I think that that's probably um you know the best maybe that the the, the best advice but, but I'll, I'll tell you the greatest one of the most powerful sayings that that was told to me um actually when i was elected into council and it, it said that you know one of the greatest privileges we have in this life is to serve 
And whenever you, and, and, and most people want to serve, right? We, we just do, like human nature for the most part. Um, but, you know, when you get the opportunity to have resources, you can serve a little bit differently. And so I would say to, the, to, to young folk or folk who want to uh, be, be deemed successful or powerful by, by great folks like Troy Rafferty um, is, is, is to embody the saying of that privilege in life is to serve because that's all I do, Troy. Like however, mm-hmm. however any external person defines that, um, my goal is to, to to be faithful to 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 the God that I serve, and to 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 serve God's people. And so, you know, if you if you get an opportunity to serve, uh, then then take advantage of that privilege. Yeah, you and your family have always given back, and that's I think you know, giving back to the community, giving back to uh, the church, giving back to the poor, giving back to just about everybody that's uh, that is in need. Um, and uh, I know that's something that you talked earlier about your mom that mm-hmm. you know she helped instill in in you and your and your siblings. What um, so if we talk about uh, giving back, okay? So what I always tell kids when I when I speak to kids is it doesn't matter where you start from. Like you said earlier, if if you're poor, if you're you know. Uh, uh, you know, if you're black, if you're uh, living in poverty, you know, whatever it is, doesn't matter where you start. It's and it's not necessarily where you end up. It's the process. It's it's the journey that you go. And as long as you act with honesty and integrity, and uh, and care about people, you will get to where you want to go. And um, and I think that's a powerful message, and I hadn't really ever thought about it as trust the process. But that's that's really, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Trust the process. Go and do the things that you need to do and act with integrity and act with honesty. Uh, be generous. Uh, be selfless. And you will end up wherever it is you need to be. So let me shift for just a second because you've always been active in the political process. Okay. So talk a little bit about your your activity in po- politics. Ah, uh, well, you know, um, being a politician in D.C. is the greatest job I never want to have again. Um, <laughs> I don't know how people. I, I got to be honest with you. I, you couldn't. I was talking to a politician the other day, and they said, "You know, maybe we should swap jobs for a day." And I said, "You couldn't pay me enough <laughs> to be a politician today." Yeah. yeah so no. that's, yeah. that's crazy. Politics has turned insane. Yeah, man. And it, it's so it's so not about what the intent of the political structure was intended to do for. For, for our country and for our people. And so, uh, again, I'm very blessed uh, to have succeeded Marion Barry, right? You know, arguably one of the, you know, most popular black politicians in the, in the world, right? You mm-hmm. know, I, I met someone in Africa at one time that, that knew <laughs> that, that knew Marion Barry, right? And so, um, you know, I, I fell into politics really because it, it's still about service, right? And so, you know, the timing of it. Well, when you say you succeeded him, talk about so what 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 position were you in? Oh, gotcha. So I had the privilege of serving the residents of Ward 8 in Washington, D.C. as a D.C. city council member. So D.C. has a, you know, our structure is, um, you know, 13 council members that represent the city's broken up into different wards. Uh, and so Ward 8 is the, it's where I live it's it's where my office is and and population. It's also, uh, as Mr. Barry, you'd say, it had all the highest negatives. So we had the highest unemployment, the highest poverty, the highest, 
crime. We had, uh, if, if it was a negative category, we had the highest. We also had the, uh, we have the largest, you know, the majority of black folk in the city live east of the river. And uh, so, but yet uh, in 2015, those individuals deemed me worthy to vote me in to serve as their council member, uh, proceed, uh, again, succeeding Mr. Barry, who died while he was in office. And so I got the chance to do that. And it was, it was a great experience, right? We were able to you know, I introduced a ton of legislation. I can't tell you that, that a lot of them got passed, but again, that's the politics of the council and right. chairmen and people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they set their own agendas, um, but we, we definitely put forth some pretty progressive legislation that we're able to. And in fact, I was talking to a young man actually last night, and I was telling him that while I was on the council, you know, I was able to create some programs. Yeah, I created a lifeguard program, and it, like you know, it's, people don't think about that, right? But in the District of Columbia, in the summer, we have all these these pools open at rec centers, and we have all these indoor pools. And lifeguards in D.C. are government employees, and so. But and then we also know the issues with black and brown children and drowning. Right, we drown at higher rates. And so while I was on the council, I worked with a woman named Athene Freeman, and uh, we created a program and said, if you're a uh, we went to black black communities in east of the river, and we said, if you're 17 years old and you're not afraid of the water, within two weeks I can get you swimming. Within a month I can get you certified as a lifeguard, and then you will become an employee of the District of Columbia, and with the with the Parks and Rec. And so we started a program and started having a pipeline of young people who were not doing anything, mm-hmm. right? Getting them certified as lifeguards. And then, you know, now some of those young people are managers at pools. Uh, some of them have gone off to college and they've been able to find, like, you know, uh, fitness centers or other places that have pools to get jobs while they're working in the summer. So, so you know, being being an elected official really gave me some opportunities to put into place some things that I believe ha- will be longstanding programs that impact black and brown children um, for generations to come. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, listen— it's been a pure pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I'm, I'm so, I know everybody that listens to this is going to be inspired by you and all the work that you've done and the work you can continue doing. So I just appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do and uh, look forward to working with you on some more cases. Oh, absolutely. Thank all you. Right. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Joy. You.